Okay, good morning everyone. Um, another Parsha Shir. Um, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Nitzavim. It's the Parsha that's always read before uh, Rosh Hashanah. It's also the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. Very, very special Shabbos. It's the Shabbos before the new year. We don't do the Shabbos Mavarkan. We don't bless the new month as we, a famous, famous concept. Partly because uh, the real reason, the original reason is because we want to confuse the Satan, so to speak, that he shouldn't know where Rosh Hashanah is. But you also know the famous idea from the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov said that we don't bless the month as Shabbos because Hashem blesses the month. And the month is, ex- the bracha is expressed in the Pasha, as I'll soon explain. So it's, and, and with that power that Hashem blesses the month of Tishrei, we then bless all the other months of the year. So, it's a powerful Shabbos. Now, what's special about this year is that Nitzavim and Vayelech are separate. Very often before Rosh Hashanah, Nitzavim and Vayelech come together. They're one Pasha. But this time they're separate. Now, what's interesting when I say separate, no, I just want to explain something, an interesting thing. Normally, when a Pasha is combined, we have often combined Parshas, so the meaning behind that is that it's two separate parshas, which we sometimes put together for whatever reason, for the calendar purposes, so that we should always begin the Torah with the Shabbos after Simchas Torah. We should always end the parsha on Simchas Torah. So depending how it works out, how many Chagim are on Shabbos, if it's a leap year, not a leap year, and so on and so forth. But it's always the idea that what we do is it's taking two parshas, two separate independent parshas, and putting them together. However, when it comes to Nitzavim Vayelech, it's the other way around. Nitzavim and Vayelech are actually one parsha. They're actually one parsha, which sometimes is split. In other words, why, why do we say that? Because also it answers the famous question. We know the Zohar tells us that there are gun storim, there are 33 parshias in the Torah, which have the numerical value of the word gun, which is, which is, 30, which is garden, it means 33. But actually, if you count them up, there are actually 34. And the pshat in it is that actually there's not 34, there's really 33 parshias, because Nitzavim and Vayelech are actually one parsha. They're one parsha. Sometimes they split. So again, whenever we have two parshas t- t- together, it's two independent parshas put together. But whenever we have Nitzavim Vayelech, it's the other way around. Nitzavim Vayelech are really one parsha, which is sometimes split. When is it split? It's always split when Rosh Hashanah comes out on a Monday or a Tuesday. Because then you have an extra Shabbos. You have Shabbos between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And you have a Shabbos between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So we need two parshas for one for Shabbos Shuvah, one for the Shabbos before Sukkot, and then so that we can finish the last parsha on Simchas Torah. Um, but there's also philosophical things which are behind that as well, that Nitzavim and Vayelech are actually, I think we've done this before, so I'm not going to go into it today, but Nitzavim and Vayelech are actually connected to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, Nitzavim is more Rosh Hashanah, Vayelech is more Yom Kippur, so therefore it's really one parsha, but we split it into before Rosh Hashanah and before Yom Kippur if Rosh Hashanah comes out on a Monday or a Tuesday. Now, in today's shir, I really want to focus more on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, I want to do the shir really on, uh, on a concept to do with Rosh Hashanah, but um, I do want to just spend a few moments on the parsha as well because, and at this point, actually, I think I'll bring up the, uh, let's just bring up the screen. Let's just read the first few psukim. So just remember that this parsha is taking place towards the end of Moshe Rabbeinu's life. Towards the very end. The, the, the whole book of Dvarim is like that, but this is the very end. And he turns to the Jewish people and he says to them the following. Atem nitzavim hayoyim kulchem. You are standing today, all of you, lifnei Hashem alakechem, before Hashem your God, roshechem, shifteichem, the tribal heads, your elders, zikneichem, shoytreichem, your officials, your Policemen, call Ish Yisrael, Tabchem, Neshechem, your children, your wives, Vgercha, Asher Bukher Bachanecha, the strangers within your camp, 
from your wood chopper and show him a mecca to your water carriers. Wood chopper and water carriers, by the way, are, or the water drawers, is a uh, reference to people who, just like we find later in Tanakh, that there were people who tricked Yehoshua and came to join the Jewish people and converted, but they were always sort of a bit outcast because they really came under false pretenses. There was a similar group that came during Moshe Rabbeinu's time. At the end, they were allowed to stay, but they became sort of the wood choppers and the water drawers and so on. Okay, so it's all the Jews together. Why you come? Here? Why have you come? Here? Says Why are you all standing today before God? To enter into a covenant before Hashem your God with his with his um, oath, so to speak. Asher Hashem imcha which God is entering into with you, is concluding it with you today before you go into Eretz Yisrael. Now, on a simple historic level, this parasha was said just before Moshe Rabbeinu passes away, so this is when the Jews are standing in the desert. This is around the 6th of Adar or the 7th of Adar, and they're standing before Moshe Rabbeinu, and Hashem is entering into a new covenant with them. However, we, we know that it's brought down that the word Hayoim, I think the Zohar says, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to highlight here. Whenever it says the word Hayoim in the Chumash, or very often, it's actually a reference to Rosh Hashanah. This comes from Eov. Eov, it says, Vayhi Hayoim, it was that day, and the Targum says it was the day of great judgment, which is Rosh Hashanah. And therefore, we read this before Rosh Hashanah because we're actually standing today, meaning today means Rosh, before Rosh Hashanah, we're about to enter into a covenant with Hashem on Rosh Hashanah, and this is the preparation that we have for Rosh Hashanah. Now, just in context of what we said before that, the Baal Shem Tov said that um, the, the, the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah is a Shabbos that Hashem blesses. What is the blessing of Hashem? The blessing of Hashem is this Pasuk. We read the Torah on this Shabbos, we are reiterating what, 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 are, what is the blessing, oops, how did that happen? What is the blessing of Hashem that He's giving on the Shabbos of Rosh Hashanah? And he's giving these words, he's saying, You are standing today. Today means Rosh Hashanah, all of you. The word Nitzavim, let's make it bold. The word Nitzavim is a reference to standing firm, standing with confidence. So Hashem is actually blessing us that before Rosh Hashanah, He's blessing us that on the day of Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be standing firm, we're going to be standing strong, confident in Hashem's judgment, confident in the blessings that Hashem is giving to us, and that is actually a bracha from Hashem Himself, that we should be able to stand with that mindset. Now, on a deeper level, what is that? What? What? Why is this got to do with Rosh Hashanah? So we know that one of the greatest preparations for Rosh Hashanah is the concept of oneness, unity. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling us, "You are on the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah." Again, he wasn't Rosh Hashanah, but this is what it's meaning. What's the message? We are standing prepared to enter into the covenant with Hashem and Rosh Hashanah. The, bless, the best blessing that we can have is if we won, if we united and we stand as one. That's why he says, you're standing today, all of you, your tribal heads, your elders, everyone, your children, your wives, your strangers, everyone is standing together. What does together mean? As Lakute Torah explains, together that doesn't mean that you know, we're tolerating each other, much more than that. Together means that we receive from each other. We complement each other. We understand, just like the uh, Lakuta Torah gives the analogy, just like in a body, the head and the foot, the head might be the head and the feet might be the feet, but the head cannot do anything that it wants to do without the feet taking them there. So therefore, the feet become, are giving, the feet give to the head and the head gives to the feet. And that's the concept of oneness that we need to understand before Rosh Hashanah, that we need to be very, very focused on this concept of oneness bef- bef- before Rosh Hashanah. Why? Why do we need to, to do that? Many, many reasons on a very simple level. On Rosh Hashanah, we are going to enter into the strongest and deepest relationship with Hashem, which is the concept that it says over here in the Pasuk, the Avracha Bibris. You're going to enter into a covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant means... The way he explains in the Kutta Torah, it's all an essay in the Kutta Torah where he explains this. A covenant means when two people enter into a pact, two people, let's say two friends, 
enter into a bris, a covenant with each other. What does that actually mean? Because what they, what they are demonstrating is the following. Two people can be very close to, it, to each other. Two people can have a relationship with each other, but that relationship is based on rationale. It's based on a reason, common interests, common values, giving to each other, they're happy with each other, they give each other pleasure, whatever the case may, might be, it might be a very deep relationship. But when sometimes two people, this is what he explains in the Kutateri, when sometimes two people are in, in such a relationship and they want to solidify and they want to make sure that this relationship is going to, is going to, is going to last, is going to be eternal. So what happens is they enter into a covenant. The covenant means that they promise each other that this bond is unconditional and eternal and nothing can break it. So to our Rosh Hashanah, what we do is we enter into a relationship with Hashem, we reveal the unconditional and unbreakable deep bond that we have with us and Hashem. Where does that deep bond come from? As we know, we've explained many times that sometimes what happens is we don't do what we're supposed to do during the year. So where does a deep bond come from? Where does an unbreakable bond come from? It comes from the depth of the neshama. How's the best way to enter into that bond? How's the best way to ignite that bond on Rosh Hashanah between us and Hashem? That's by, re- that's by revealing that part of us that is pure, that part of us, the neshama, that is always connected with Hashem. But if we reveal that part of the us that's of the neshama that's always connected with Hashem, that is the part that makes us all one as well. That's the part where we are all one. We are only different on the outer layers of the neshama, but we're not different at the core of the neshama. At the core of the neshama, really, we're all one. And therefore, the more we prepare with that oneness, the more we recognize the core of the neshama, the more we recognize that we're all intrinsically one because of the core of the neshama, the more we're able to ignite that relationship with Rosh Hashanah, which comes from the depth of the Neshama, comes from the same place, and that's the best preparation for, for Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Just one other point about the Parsha. I'm just going to stop the share here because it's just easy that way. One other, one other concept behind the, this, this, this idea of Parsha's Nitzavim being before Rosh Hashanah. It's very interesting, we have to look at last week's Parsha. Last week's Parsha is Parsha's Kisovoi. Kisovoi has the Toichacha, has the curses in it, has the very harsh reprimand in it. Right? Now, and then we, then we have Parsha's Nitzavim to create a buffer, create a break between Kisovoi and Rosh Hashanah. And that's how we go into Rosh Hashanah. We do a similar thing, by the way, before Shavuos. Before Shavuos, we read Bamidbar. But before Bamidbar, we read Parshas Bechul Koisai. Parshas Bechul Koisai has also the reprimand in it. It has also the, the, um, the, the Toichach, as it's called. A smaller one, but it's still very, very sharp. So we read, we read Bechul Koisai, then we read the, uh, the Bamidbar, and then we go into Shavuos. But it's with greater emphasis before Rosh Hashanah. What's the idea? The idea is that the, the precious, the Torah, the reprimand, is the negative part, really is representative, not so much on a punishment concept, but it's more about self-refinement, which is, comes through the concept of getting rid of that which is negative, right? Because we know in the Torah, the mitzvahs are divided into two. There's what we call sur meira and asetoiv. There's the going away from bad, there's getting rid of the bad, and then there's the doing of good, right? So... When we prepare for a very, very big milestone, like it is before Shavuos, we prepare for getting the Torah. But even more so when we prepare for Rosh Hashanah, which is a time of renewal, it's a time of entering into a new covenant with Hashem, it's a time of really re-establishing re- our bond, our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We need to prepare in two ways. We have to have Parshas Kisovoi, last week's Parsha, which is more about going away from bad and warning us to stay away from bad. That's the idea of Sur Meira. But then that's not good enough. We also have to engage in good, which is the process of Atem Nitzavim. You are standing here today to engage, to do something, to enter into the covenant with Hashem, to actively engage in the relationship with Hashem, which is much more the Asei Toiv, the doing good, um, which enhances our relationship and our connection with Hashem. So what, what, was, what is all this for? What is this preparation for? Preparation is all about preparing for Rosh Hashanah. As the Pasuk said, to come into that covenant between us and Hashem, that deep, unbreakable bond that we enter into with Hashem on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So I want to take a little bit deeper. And today I want to 
focus on that and focus on Rosh Hashanah. And I want to explore an interesting dilemma, paradox or dichotomy as you can call it. Because I think it's important to highlight it and to be honest about it and to actually clarify what it all means. What, what am I referring to? So we know that Rosh Hashanah, we say it's a time of great closeness to Hashem. It's a time of, we always say it's not a time to be scared. It's not a time of pachad. It's not a time of being frightened from Hashem. On the contrary, it's a serious day. But nevertheless, it's a day of great love. It's a day of great closeness. And it's a day where Hashem is particularly close to us. So I want to explore that because it's actually not that simple. It's actually not that simple, if, we, if, if we're honest about it. We do know that Rosh Hashanah is referred to, I mean, I'm going to show you how, how, how actually, ultimately it's the greatest day of closeness, but we need to explore and understand how it works. Because there's no question that on the one hand, Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. And it's a day where we, on the surface, logically, could be, quite a confronting and perhaps scary day. Because it's on that day that Hashem decides what is going to happen in the, in, in the coming year. Now one of the most beautiful tefillahs, one of the most beautiful prayers, heart-rending prayers on Rosh Hashanah is the famous Unasana Toikif. When Unasana Toikif, we talk about the strength of the day and we say that on this day, Secha. Hashem decides exactly what's going to happen to each person. And we pass before Hashem like sheep. He scrutinizes each of us. How many are going to unfortunately pass away? How many are going to be born? And so on. Who's going to be lifted up? Who's going to be put down? Who's going to be by fire, by water? It's a, it's a, I mean, in Shul, it's one of the most serious moments in the Sanatokif, right? So that's a cause for solemnness, obviously. It's a cause perhaps for a little bit of unease. Okay. Let's take it further a little bit. The Gemara tells us, it's a Gemara in Erechim. The Gemara says the following. The Gemara talks about 18 days in, in outside of Eretz Yisrael. It's more days. But outside in Eretz Yisrael, there's 18 days in the year where we say Hallel. Hallel is one of the rabbinic mitzvahs to praise Hashem, dafkin, a time of joy. We praise Hashem after, after a miracle happens, or we, pray, or we praise Hashem on a yontif, like Shavuos or Sukkot, with a time of yontif, a time of celebration, a time of joy. So we sing the songs of Hallel. It's always connected with Simcha. Says the Gemara, how about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Why, how come it's a yontif? It's also yontif. So how come we don't say Hallel on Rosh Hashanah or Hallel on Yom Kippur? So the Gemara says, Omar Rabavo, Rabavo, the great sage of the Gemara said, that the Malachim, the angels, the Malachi Asharis turn to Hashem and they say to him, Rebbeinu Shaloyla, Master of the Universe, how come it's Rosh Hashanah, it's Yom Kippur, how come your children are not saying Hallel? So Hashem responds to the Malachim and says, Hallel. Can you imagine a king sitting on the throne of judgment? And the books of life, the books of the opposite of life, God forbid, are open before him and you expect them to sing songs? In other words, what, what, the, what the Gemara is really saying is this is not a time for celebration. This is a time for introspection, for reflection, for tshuva. And it's a time where people, understandably, are uneasy, perhaps. Which is why we don't say Hallel. Hallel is associated with song. It's associated with, 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 with letting ourselves go a little bit. Dancing, singing, songs, praises to Hashem. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is not the time for that. Much more solemn, much more serious, and perhaps confronting, perhaps even scary, maybe. I must tell you, just to make the question bigger a little bit, just to describe to you a little bit in times of old particularly, how people used to sell, uh, observe Rosh Hashanah. I saw elder Hasidim that spent Rosh Hashanah, this is what was always encouraged and, and, and part of the culture, 
that Rosh Hashanah they would spend less time on the meal and more times in prayer. They didn't waste time. They said to Hillim every spare moment. I saw elder Hasidim that they would daven for hours on Rosh Hashanah night. They would go home late. They would stay long in shul to daven, to cry out, to pour out their heart to, to Hashem, to connect to Hashem from the deepest level, davening for hours. I had a great uncle called Shmerel Gerari, my grandfather's brother. I once spent a Rosh Hashanah meal with him when he was in New York. It wasn't a very social meal. He had a custom that the entire 48 hours of Rosh Hashanah, he didn't speak. Only davened and said till him and learnt. But he didn't make any small talk. No, nothing. He didn't even speak. It was like a middle of davening, the whole Rosh Hashanah. And the meal that I was with him was with another great uncle who did speak, but very little. And, and I, it was my great uncle and his wife and, my, and, and this great uncle who didn't speak Rosh Hashanah myself. It was a quick meal. We sang one nigun, serious meal, quite solemn, and we finished. I have to, I have to sh- tell you that I, I spent a number of the months of Tishrei Rosh Hashanah by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, whose demeanor on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur was clearly different. Very serious, very solemn. So not like Simchas, not, not like Sukkot at all. Sukkot was different. There was a smile. There was an upliftingness. Come into davening, would start to clap. Simchas Torah for sure. That it was full of smiles. It would, oh, it would just like sort of be much more loose, right? Not Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, as we said before, we always talk about this closeness. I always talk about that it is a day. It is a yontif. In fact, the Gemara at the end of Tainis says that there were no such great Yomim Toivim, there was one of the greatest festivals of the Jewish people, was in fact Yom Kippur. And then we have the famous tour. The famous tour, that one of the authors of the Shulchan Aruch, who says, based on a Medrash, that he says that Erev Rosh Hashanah, we should do what we do in every Erev Chag, or Erev Shabbos, we should take haircuts, and we should bathe. Why? Why do we do that, he says? Based on a medrash. The medrash says that Rabbi Simon said that the Jewish people are such a great nation because they know how Hashem works. He says because in the world, normally a person who's going to judgment would wear black clothes, would, would be very scared. He wouldn't be busy with bathing and haircuts and all the kind of stuff, right? But when it comes to the Jewish people, they wear white clothes, they wear beautiful clothes. They bathe. They eat and they drink. And they rejoice on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because they are so confident that Hashem will perform a miracle for them. And He will bring them to be meritorious in judgment and bless them within the most amazing year. And of course, as the Vilna Gaon points out, this idea from the Torah is also based on a story in Tanakh. A story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, who built the second Beis Amigdash, and the Jews have come back from Bavel. And not all the Jews have come back. In fact, a lot of the scholars remain behind. And, the, and it was at the very beginning of the second Beis Amigdash, there was a gathering that took place on Rosh Hashanah. It says it was the first of the seventh month on Rosh Hashanah. And there was a bunch over there in the Beis Amigdash, a community that was very assimilated, very distant. A lot of them were intermarried, a whole story. And Ezra gets up and gives them a talking to. He takes out the Torah and he starts to read the Torah to them. And they were inspired and they started to cry. That's what it says in Tanakh. And so much so they cried that they had no mood to go back home to eat. In fact, they, just, they contemplated just fasting the rest of the day. And at that, and at that point, Nehemiah, Nehemiah turned to them, one of the great, this is one of the greatest, we're talking about the greatest Jewish leaders here, turns to them and says, no, go home. I'll take food, do not be sad. Ichlu mashmanim, eat fat foods. Shtub mamtakim, drink sweet drinks. Go home and rejoice. Ki chedvas Hashem hi mo'uschem, because the happiness of Hashem is your strength. And of course, we have the famous Chazal, the Pasuk that says, Dirshu Hashem bihi motzoi, look for Hashem when he can be found. Kra'uhu biyoisoi korav, call to him when he's very near. And the Gemara says, what time of the year is that referring to? It's referring to the Aserisime Tshuva, the 10 days of Tshuva. So what is going on here? We don't say Hallel. And in fact, on that concept, we don't say Hallel. I forgot to mention before, there's a Rambam. Rambam is, is in his commentary on Mishnah. 
Rambam says, listen to, listen to this, he says, he says, he says, the days of Rosh Hashanah, not for Halel, because he says, these are days of service to Hashem, humility, or fright even, he says. Not, not a time for frivolity and celebration and partying. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, we have this tour that says we are absolutely confident. We have the Chemi telling the people to go home and eat sweet foods and rejoice. Because we are a nation that we believe in Hashem, we trust Hashem. What, what, what is all this about? What's going on here? What type of day is it? So I want to share with you the answer on two levels. Because the great Taz, the Turezov, one of the great um, commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, I think it was about 15th century, something like that. He, he says something, he says, he says, they, they, go to, they go together. His words are like this. His words are, yes, it's a serious day, it's a confronting day, and yet it's a day of tremendous trust in Hashem. And the commentaries explain, what does this mean? So I saw one idea, before we take it even deeper, there's a piyut, there's a liturgy, and a poem that we recite on Rosh Hashanah that says that we, we say to Hashem like this, a very strange expression. We say to Hashem, Im If you look for my iniquities, if you look for my transgressions, Evrach mimcha, I'm going to flee from you. I'm going to run away from you. Eilecha to you. Listen to the words. We tell Hashem, if you're going to look for the wrongdoings that we've done on this day, I'm going to be so frightened, I'm going to run away from you, to you. That's an incredible expression. I'm going to run away from you, to you. Meaning, that what happens in Rosh Hashanah is, the simcha, the celebration on Rosh Hashanah, which comes from the trust in Hashem, and the confidence, comes because it's a confronting day. In other words, when Rosh Hashanah comes, it's a day of Teshuvah. It's a day of judgment. We start to think about what this is all about. And yes, there is a level of discomfort. There's a level of how it's very confronting. Because we spent Elul, we spent the month of Elul, looking at, the, looking at, the, at the, a year gone by, highlighting some of our deficiencies. And yes, that makes us uncomfortable. Maybe, perhaps it makes us undeserving. It makes us... It makes us almost want to run away. We're perhaps frightened of Hashem's judgment. But it's at that point we realize, hold on a second. If we're running away, where are we running to? We have nowhere to run. We only have Hashem to run to. Which is what the what this phrase says, Im tevakesh If you're going to scrutinize me, if you're going to judge me. We say to Hashem, Evrach, you're right, it's a scary prospect. I'm going to run away. But who am I going to run to? To you, only to you. In other words, it's the time of the most heightened trust in Hashem. Specifically because we're nothing. Specifically because we realize what we've done. Specifically because we realize that it's a confronting day. The two things go together. Yes, it's not, it is a serious day. It's a day to be in debate. It's a day to, 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 to reflect. It's not a partying day. That comes later on Sukkot and on Simchastur, which we can explain soon. But because it's a confronting day, it's the day that we realize, and we should realize, through confronting ourselves, through taking it seriously, through the solemnity of the day, it's a time that we realize that we actually have nowhere to turn. And if we have nowhere to turn, the best address is Hashem Himself. And we fall ourselves into the embrace of Hashem. And we are confident in Hashem. And we trust Hashem. And therefore we are confident that Hashem will make it good. In other words, the more we realize that we only have Hashem to turn to, the more Hashem is going to, give it, is going to be compassionate to us. The more we realize that we have no other address but Hashem, the more we are in Hashem's hands. And when we're in Hashem's hands, the less worried we have to be. Those are the two things go together. And that's why there's these beautiful lines. If you, if you confront my weakness, my transgression, yes, it's a scary prosket. I might, want, I might have the feeling, the temptation just to run, to flee in fright, realizing then I have nowhere to run, only to you. And being in your hands is the best place to be. 
Being in your hands meaning I'm in your hands. If I'm in your hands, I'm in your compassionate hands, your infinite hands, your, your blessing hands. And therefore, says the Torah, in the context, specifically in the context of it being a day of judgment, of it being a day where perhaps we don't party, we don't stand up and sing praises and dance, but it's in that day that we have this inner joy and confidence and trust. And that's why we are confident. And that's why we take a shower and we, and we, and we, and we cut our hair and nails and we, and, we are, and we eat a good food. And that's exactly what the Chemia told the people. It was the same people that brought the people in the Chemia and Ezra story to tears. Those same people told them to go home and celebrate. It's exactly the same contradiction. That's, that's exactly the point. Ezra and Nehemiah says, yes, this is a day you've got to take a good look at yourself. And then when they did, and it hit them, and they started to be, they started to be uncomfortable, started to be tremble, that Nehemiah steps in and he says, okay, exactly. Now that you're at that part, now you go home and eat and drink. And celebrate. Because the strength of Hashem, the, the, the happiness of Hashem is your strength. Because now that you've understood that you cannot rely on yourself, that you, that you haven't achieved so much on your own, so what you realize, therefore, you have to return to Hashem, you want to run away, that's the best place to run. Run to, to Hashem, now you can celebrate. Which, of course, follows exactly what we do in Rosh Hashanah. It is a day of Yom Tev. But in Shul, we shed a tear. In Shul, we say some really serious tefillahs, we say some really serious davening. In Shul, we blow the shofar, which represents a cry from the heart. And then at the end, at the very, very end of davening, there's a beautiful prayer that we say called Hayom Ta'amseinu. Today you have strengthened us. Today you are blessing us. Because once we realize that we don't have anything on our own, we just throw ourselves back into Hashem's hands. And that's the most trusting and confident position to be in. Let's take a little bit deeper now. And to understand why Rosh Hashanah is perhaps that solemn day Perhaps that day where, there's a, where you shed a tear, and yet it is such a great yantiv, and in fact it's the day of the greatest closeness. Because on a deeper level, that crying and that seriousness that takes place on Rosh Hashanah is not even a fright at all. It's not a fright. What it is, is a yearning. And that's different. Being scared and yearning is very different. So before we took it more on the level of the simple understanding of Rosh Hashanah where it's the year, the day of, of, of Yomim Noraim, the days of awe. But then that awe also means that we have nowhere to run other than Hashem. And that's okay, that's a beautiful thing. Now at a deeper level, it's not even about pachar, it's not even about wanting to run away or being scared. It is a deep yearning. If anything, it's about running away from where we were and yearning to come back to Hashem. You see, because the way Rosh Hashanah works, and that's why, yes, it is true that the, that the, the day of Rosh Hashanah, there's no Hallel. Why? Because it is an eternal joy. There's a, there's a Pasuk which refers to Rosh Hashanah where it says, Gilu Bira'ada, rejoice with trembling. The Rebbe would always explain that it meant that rejoice. It's a day of rejoicing, but an inward rejoicing. Now, we rejoice because, and we'll soon explain why, we reveal the greatest connection to Hashem on these days. But the way to reveal that connection is through the yearning. And the yearning is much more an introspective and reflective state of mind. Now, we do celebrate. We celebrate openly what happens on Rosh Hashanah. And this is a very fundamental concept. We celebrate it on Sukkot at Simchas Torah. Sukkot and Simchas Torah is not an independent celebration of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. As we know, Sukkot and Simchas Torah is an extension. It's a repetition of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The whole month of Tishrei is revealing and exposing the deepest of love between us and Hashem. The deepest bond between us and Hashem. Connecting to that bond on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a joy, but it's got to be much more of a reserved joy. Once we've achieved it on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, when do we then actually celebrate it? We celebrate it on, on Sukkot and Simchas Torah. We're not celebrating anything different. We're celebrating what happened on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Therefore, that even emphasizes more how Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is a day of tremendous joy. It just can only fully come out 
and be fully blown and exposed on Simchas Torah, on Sukkot Simchas Torah. Which is why, as we mentioned many times, the first two, the days of Sukkot fall out on exactly the same days of Rosh Hashanah. The year Rosh Hashanah is on a Tuesday and Wednesday. Sukkot is a Tuesday and Wednesday. And then it gets even more joyous and more celebratory on Shmini Atzeres at Simchas Torah, which is also on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. We also know that on Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar. We blow the shofar. Uh, um, in, in shul, there's a, a total of 100 sounds. To fulfill the mitzvah, you have to do 30 sounds. But in, in shul, the tradition is to blow 100 sounds. This, that comes out on sukkahs, in the schach. The schach that we, push, we place upon the sukkah, we know, has the numerical value of 100. Breaking it down even more, if you do the calculation, which I'm not going to do now with you, so trust me on this, but when you blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, and we, there's three types of sounds that we blow. We blow the tikiyot, which is a smooth sound. We blow the shvarim and we blow the trua. If you can't count it all up in the hundred sounds, you will see there are 20 shvarims, 20 truas, and 60 tikiyas. Right? What's the word schach? Gematria 100. Samach, chaf, chaf. 60, 20, 20. A repetition of the tikiyas. The Kabbalah also tells us that the schach on the sukkah is very holy because it, it reveals and has the same holiness as the cloud of smoke that would be in the holy of holies when the Kohen Godel went in on Yom Kippur to bring incense and created a cloud of smoke that represented the divine presence, the Gilui of the Shekhinah. And that's, but that's more in a spiritual hidden way and it comes out on sukkahs in a revealed way. I'm just telling you all this because Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is an amazingly happy time. It's an amazingly day of closeness. But that closeness comes because of a bond which is revealed in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's revealed because of a more reserved joy. It's revealed from a deep yearning. And that yearning comes from the feeling of discomfort of being distant from Hashem. Let me break it down for you let me, and let me explain this. There's a fascinating Zohar. Fascinating Zohar. Which I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you the Pasuk on which it's based. This Zohar is in Parshas Bechukaisa. Listen to it very carefully. It says, it's, as mentioned before, that twice a year, twice, the two Parshas, where we read the Torah, we read the harsh words from Hashem warning us to listen to Him and otherwise there'll be consequences, right? So one of them is Parshas Bechukaisa, and in Parshas Bechukaisa, there's uh, quite a number of sukkim of quite harsh warnings. Hashem promises, Hashem warns us that if we don't do the right thing, He'll send us into Golos. We, we will we'll be subjected to the servitude of other nations, and so on and so forth. And then the Pasuk says the following. The Pasuk says, Va'af, and yet, Gam zois bi yoisam be'eret even when you are in the land of the enemies, ma'astim even when they are in the land of the enemies, referring to the Jewish people, ma'astim I will not reject them, ge'altim and I will not spurn them, to destroy them, which means I won't destroy them, brisi because I won't annul my covenant with them, itam with them ki Hashem Okay. Says the Zoyer. What does this mean? Why is Hashem saying that even when we are in the land of the enemies and the, man, in the lands of oppression which represent exile, which represent the fact that we landed up there in the first place as we say in the Amidah of Musaf on Yontif that Mipnei Chato'einu was our fault, it was our transgressions that we landed up in the land of the enemies in the first place. Yet Hashem says, I will not reject them, I will not spurn them, I will not destroy them. Why not? Says the Zohar, because there's a deep love that is there between Hashem and the Jewish people. That is hinted in this Pasuk. How is it hinted in this Pasuk? This is what the Zohar says, the most beautiful thing. Take the word, Lachaloisam. Now, normally when you, Lachaloisam means to finish them off. If you look carefully at the word, the word lechaloisam, it would be normally spelled lamed chaf, lamed vav, saf, final name, right? 
lechaloisam. Lechaloisam means it's a, it's a, the vowel is a choyla. And it's not spelled that way. It's spelled without the vav. Lechaloisam. It says, Azura, the reason that it's spelled without a vav is because it alludes to another word. Kala. Kala, a bride. It says, Hashem, when the Jews are might be in the lands of the enemies. And lands of the enemies, by the way, doesn't only mean a physical thing. It means a spiritual thing. They might be spiritually far, spiritually distant. They might be in a very bad place. Nevertheless, I will never reject them and I will never spurn them because they are my color, they are my bride. And listen to the words of the Zohar. The Zohar says, a marshal, a parable, an analogy. Says the, says the Zohar, There was an analogy of a man that he, that he had a bride that he truly loved. He fell in love with this woman. And she was spending time in the markets of the tanneries. The markets of the tanneries. Now the markets of the tanneries in the Talmud is always in the Gemara, is always a sign of like a bad thing. Not, not, of course, of course we, tanneries are an important part of life, but, but the tanneries are always places that are a terrible fragrance. Terrible odor, because it was where you tan leather, and apparently tanning leather with all the chemicals and stuff that you need to tan the leather with, it didn't make a very good odor at all. It was a very smelly place. So that's where this bride was spending time. So what happens? The Zohar says, If this color would not be there, if this bride would not be spending time in the tannery markets, the, the chassan, the groom, the man would never go in there. The man's not going to go in there. It smells terrible. Given the heat, taman, but because she's there, listen to the words of the Zohar, I'll say it in Aramaic and I'll translate it to some beautiful words. It becomes in his eyes like a marketplace of stores that sell, smell perfume. That all the greatest fragrances of the world are found there. What does this mean? What's the Zohar trying to tell us? So the Zohar is trying to allude to exactly what happens in Elul and Rosh Hashanah. What does it mean that the husband, the, the, the chas and the groom, goes into the tannery places and yet... He goes there because to him it seems like the most amazing place with beautiful fragrances. It's, it's the marketplace of the, of the selling of perfume. What does that mean? It's not. The, the, the woman is in tannery places. She's in a bad smelling place. So what does it mean? What it means is as follows. As we've explained many times, but it comes out in this analogy so beautiful and it will also come to answer our question. And let's answer it by going through the formula of Elul and Tishrei. Elul is called Chodesh HaCheshpon. It's Chodesh HaCheshpon. It's, it's, it's a month of reckoning. A month of stock taking. When we are honest and we sit down in the month of Cheshpon, we reflect on the year gone by. It can be very confronting and perhaps it should be very confronting. That's the only way that it will be a catalyst for change. And it will cause us to be very uncomfortable. The more we do it, the more we are honest in our cheshpon, as it's written very at length in the great Hasidic masters and the great Hasidic literature, it causes a tremendous level of discomfort because, because it's not just about the fact that we did maybe things that were wrong. It's about the fact that when we do things that are wrong, it makes us distant from Hashem. That's the way it is. The word mitzvah is connection. Mitzvahs connect us with Hashem. Wrongdoings distance us from Hashem. So the more we do the proper cheshbon, it is very possible and probable, if we're really honest with ourselves, that we come to a point where we, where we find where we, where, we, where we find ourselves in the tannery marketplaces, in the shuk shel bursiki, and we realize that we're very far away from any environment that the king would want to be there, and we feel incredibly distant. We feel far. Once we realize that distance, we begin to yearn. Now, when a person yearns, 
Yearning is a positive thing. Yearning means we have this unsatiable yearning to reconnect with Hashem. We have an un, un, an infinite yearning to return to our connection to Hashem. Now, obviously, at that point, we're feeling that we really want to connect. We, we, we confronted ourselves. We feel uncomfortable. We feel distant. But it's not a time to stance. It's not, it doesn't call for halal. It doesn't call for, for partying. It's in a state of yearning. It's in a state of crying. And it's at that point, specifically at that point, because of our distance, which the distance was a catalyst for such deep yearning. It's at that moment that the deepest love from Hashem is revealed. It's at that moment that the king comes into the tannery marketplace and says that he connects with us even where we are. Obviously, he wants to take us out of there. Obviously, he wants us to return to the marketplace of the perfumes. But he says right now he's prepared to meet us there. He's prepared to come into the bursik. He's prepared to come into the tannery. Because to him, if we are there, even if we are there in that environment which is negative, if we are there yearning for him, which by the way is also the translation of the word kala. Kala bride means, it also comes to the word kilayon, to yearn, to aspire. If we are there, then this environment to him is a perfume shop. Why? Because what happens at that moment is the deeper love which we always talk about, the unbreakable bond, the unconditional connection between us and Hashem is revealed specifically at that moment. It is the distance that we feel that causes that deeper love to emerge. And that's what shofar is. When we come to Rosh Hashanah and we daven and we blow the shofar, that shofar is the cry of the child yearning to come back. If we blow the shofar from a very, very small hole, a small, tiny hole. Why? Because it's analogous to the pasuk which we recite before the shofar, min hameitzar karosika. I'm calling to you from the, from the constrictiveness. I'm, I'm feeling small. I'm feeling like nothing. I'm feeling so far away. I'm feeling like there's no connection. And it's from that point that I cry. I cry to you, we say to Hashem. And what does Hashem do? He answers us from the wide side. He reveals such a connection. He reveals such an unconditional love, such a depth of relationship that exists between him and us that cannot be erased even with the greatest transgression that is revealed specifically when we feel far. That's what the amazing power of Tshuva is. It's revealed specifically at that moment of distance or the moment of yearning, the moment of deep yearning. And Hashem says, come, connect, obviously, he re-embraces us. He welcomes us back home. What a day. What a day of closeness. What a day of love. What a day of trust in Hashem. What a day of confidence knowing that, the, that Hashem is like that, that husband that will follow the wife into the tannery. So of course we're going to go home and eat afterwards. Of course we're going to celebrate. Of course it's a yontif. Of course it's a most amazing day of closeness. But it's not open dancing and partying because it's a closeness which emerges from a, from a context of yearning, a context of distance. So the two things have to come together. That's why it's Gilu Bir Oda. It's a day of tremendous love and closeness. It's a day of tremendous celebration, but it's reserved celebration. It's the lost child being welcomed back. It's a lost child crying. Please, I want to come home. And the father's saying, of course, here's the door. Come in, reconnect. I'll meet you where you are and take you out with me. So that's why the two things are not contradictory at all. It is a day of tremendous closeness. And it's a day we have to have unbelievable emunah in Hashem. But it's from the vantage point. It's from the context of distance and yearning. And that's why the simcha is tempered. It is a day of judgment. The simcha is... Is, 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 comes from distance, comes from tshuva, comes from a deep yearning, a yearning that comes from feeling far and yearning to come back and the com comes from a commitment to want to come back and to want to repair and rebuild. But as I said before, 
It's such an unbelievable closeness that calls such an un- unbelievable celebration, which cannot happen on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because it's much more reserved. It's coming from that solemn, serious perspective. But we do celebrate it. We celebrate it openly with Hallel, with Lachaim, with dancing. When do we do that? Sukkot and Simchas Torah. and Simchas is the re it's the reenactment of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur but this time with open celebration. You know, what's the climax of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? What's the ultimate intimacy? What's the ultimate bond? What's the ultimate reconnection? Rosh Hashanah it starts off with the child wanting to reconnect from the depth of the soul to Shoifer. When is that connection bond together? Ne'ila of Yom Kippur. Ne'ila of Yom Kippur is an intimate moment. It's a yichud. It's a time of just Hashem and the Jewish people. Like a chassan and a kala, like a bride and a groom. As we said that, go into the room after the chuppah to be alone. That's Ne'ila. An intimate moment, a romantic moment. What is Simchas Torah we are told? Simchas Torah is after the reception, after the celebration, which happens after the chuppah, which is the seven days of sukkahs, like the Sheva Brochus. The chassan and kala go home, the bride and groom go home, and they become intimate. That's the ultimate love, the ultimate intimacy. Simchas Torah is the ultimate intimacy between the Jewish people and Hashem. It's the ultimate bond, but this time close, even closer, even more celebratory, even more happy. It's pleasurable, it's unbelievable, it's the most unbelievable simcha. It's celebrating the wedding. That's why we find every Jewish wedding is the same thing. The chuppah and the yuchah is much more reserved because it's a tense moment. It's two things coming, reconnecting, two half-souls, so to speak, reconnecting. And then they go out and celebrate. And then, they, and then they're intimate with each other. So too, the same thing, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. It's a beautiful connection. It's closeness. It's a, it's a chuppah. It's a wedding. But it's a closest coming from returning. Returning to reconnect. But then that, that connection, which is close and beautiful and unbelievable, is celebrated openly on Sukkot and with the greatest celebration, of course, at the moment of the greatest intimacy between us and Hashem, which is Shemini Atzeres and Simchas Torah. So that's why the whole journey of Elul and Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchas Torah is all one journey. It's all that journey to re-expose, to reconnect, to re-reveal that most unconditional and deep love that exists between Hashem and the Jewish people, which we renew and we, re- re- and we reignite every single year and then hopefully take it with us for the year, for the, for the year to come. So that's the, uh, that's the synopsis of, of understanding of how these two things actually come, come, come together. So just as we talk about the shofar getting in the mood, so I'll just um, blow the shofar. Good day, everyone, and only good things. Thank you very much.